Dog Nation, and welcome back to more Dog Nation off-season coverage. I'm Kaylee Mansell with Connor Riley, and if there is anything that I've learned over the past few months working in the industry, it's that even when it's the off-season, there really is no off-season. Just when you think things are calm, that nothing's going on, and everything seems to be going right, something pops up out of nowhere and shakes the media world. And that was proved true yesterday when it came out in an interview that former Georgia quarterback commitment, Dylan Riola, his dad did an interview with someone from Rivals and said that allegedly Kirk Herbstreet influenced Dylan to commit to Nebraska when he heard all the buzz that was going on with Dylan still entertaining Nebraska. So I want to bring in Connor. And before we play you the clip, Connor, first impressions, did the audience overreact to this situation or do you think everybody was on par with their feelings? I. I you understand that Georgia fans are going to react a certain way. I, I think, you know, look, college game day in particular has had a little bit of a Georgia issue of late. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the David Pollock thing that happened last offseason where he is let go by ESPN. I don't think that was anything personal there. I think they just made a decision. Uh, maybe ultimately knowing that Nick Saban might not be too far away. And obviously, we have the news coming out this week that Saban is joining mm-hmm. the college game set and then you have I think the Pat McAfee thing this fall where he says to hell with Georgia now I would point out uh you know a lot of Georgia fans are understandably mad and upset about that Georgia ends it do you know how the Georgia fight song ends Kaylee I feel like you're going to enlighten me either way so you don't know how the Georgia fight I would have song to ends. sing it in my head and if I sing it in I my head like- it's going to come out out loud and then I'm just going to embarrass myself because I don't have a great voice so Kaylee doesn't know how the Georgia fight song it's, goes. It's, it, it, wait, it has the cuss word at the end, right? I'm not allowed to say cuss words on air via our producer, right? And to I, dun, 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 right? They say to hell, and to hell is not a cuss word. Okay, well, uh, I'm not allowed so to say these words on air. We can say hell on air. Uh, you, anyway. You can say it. Oh, wow. Okay. Anyway, uh, so, you know, maybe that was a little tongue-in-cheek, but I think when you add in this Kirk Herbstreet, you know, whether he said it or not, we don't know. We haven't heard it from Kirk's point of view, and I doubt that we will. Uh, and, and I also don't doubt Dominic Rayola's recounting of this. That seems like a weird thing to lie about. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just – it's a combination of factors, I think, that make this college game day situation a bigger deal than it, it should be. And, and look, you know, with Alabama – in some ways taking maybe some of a step back with Kalen DeBoer stepping in for Nick Saban there. Georgia, in my mind, is is the premier team in college football right now. And you don't want to have, if you're ESPN, which has exclusive broadcasting rights to the SEC for the next decade, having sort of a beef with one of your premier teams, you know, true or not, uh, the perception is out there. And it's just another, I think, sort of weird it's been a very strange year for ESPN so far with some of those new stories that have come out of there and some of the talent interactions that they've had. And, and this is right up there. I, again, Kirk Herbstreet, you know, obviously wants everyone in college football to do well. It, it does better uh, for college game day when college football as a whole is doing well. But to call a prospect's parent and say, you got to go to Nebraska of all places, a play a program that has one winning season since 2016 it's just it's weird the whole thing is weird and and, you know Kirk is entitled to his own opinion but I would also say 
as someone who, you know, Kirk enjoys a lot of perks and he is someone who has an incredibly large voice in mm -hmm. the sport of college football. I think that's why Dominic Rayola shared the story in which he did. You have to be aware of, I think, sort of your perception and take note of that voice. And I don't necessarily mm -hmm. know if Kirk, Kirk Street has always done that. And, and so he wants the perks but sometimes also doesn't want some of the criticism that comes with those perks as well. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. It seems like this relationship and the things that keep happening between those in ESPN and College Game Day and the University of Georgia, it's almost been a domino effect and it keeps on happening. And for those who didn't get to see the clip, we want to give you the opportunity to because there are some things I want to break down. So here is Dominic Riola in an interview with Rivals yesterday. Say, bring up one guy's name. His name's Kirk Herbstreet. When he saw, he saw the smoke. Uh, about Dylan entertaining Nebraska, he was like, called me. He said, dude, is this true? He got to do it. You know, he got to do it. He, he, his affinity for Nebraska, uh, for a guy like that to tell me and to, you know, get behind me. Like I knew, I knew he needed to do it, but I wasn't going to sit here and say, you need to go change that place or be a part of the change at that place. Um, so when Kirk told me that, you know, I was like, man, Okay, so here's what I took away from this. This interview in particular reminded me of a situation that I wanted to say happened either two or three years ago, and it was when a quarterback by the name of Jake Garcia, who initially went to Miami, he's now at Missouri, he lived in the state of California, but his parents wanted him to come play for Rush Probe while he was at Valdosta. So the mom and the dad legally separated, and his dad moved him into a small apartment in Valdosta and then did an interview with ESPN saying exactly what they were doing. The only reason that they had gotten separated to begin with is so that Jake Carcia could go to Valdosta. Well, then the GHSA finds out they end up ruling him ineligible to play at Valdosta. Then Jake Garcia goes on to Grayson and wins a state championship there. But it all goes back to this. Why come out and let things be public? In, in my mind, the conversation that we had when the Dylan Riola stuff even happened in the first place is that you and I, Connor, felt like the adults in the room were letting him down. When you watch this interview, does that only prove your point that you made earlier? One, uh, Jake Garcia is now at East Carolina. He has since transferred I again. thought he was at Missouri. Oh, I didn't realize he had transferred again. Okay, thank uh, you for correcting me. Uh, two, you know, again, uh, I think in some ways, uh, you know, look, Dylan Rayola and the Rayola family probably caught a lot of flack following his decommitment from Georgia and ultimately signing with Nebraska. If you're always going to sign with Nebraska, which I think some people thought was going to be the case, why commit to Georgia, move across the country, enroll at Buford High School for your senior season and go through all these hoops if you knew at the end of the day that was what you were going to do? I think it's very telling in this situation. It's not Dylan giving an interview here. This isn't Dylan speaking to a group of reporters at Nebraska. Uh, this is Dylan's dad, Dominic, who attended Nebraska, was an All-American at, at Nebraska, and I think in some ways is perhaps trying to justify the end result of Dylan going to Nebraska when reality is, and most Georgia fans will probably tell you this, they're already accepting of the fact that Rayola picked Nebraska. You know, like there were some that were maybe a little bummed mm -hmm. uh, when he did make that flip in December. But also I think there's a large portion of the Georgia fan base that understands why he flipped as well. So, you know, it's another strange turn in a recruitment that was very weird and be it at the beginning when he was an Ohio State commit and then backs off that commitment and, and ends up at Georgia or, you know, flipping at the 11th hour and, and going to Nebraska. 
it's another strange story. And again, it's not so much that we're even talking about Dylan Raiola, the quarterback, or, or what he can potentially do. We're talking about what the adults around Dylan are having to say about him. And that, you know, that is where you really start to feel for Dylan, because I don't know how much of this he has truly brought on himself. I know in this instance, none of this, I think, can really be put at the feet of Nebraska quarterback Dylan Rayola. I think when it came to the flip, it was one of those things where it's like you mentioned, you're disappointed but not surprised. And when I was thinking about this conversation, it, it kind of came back to um, – I'm about to quote some Taylor Swift and take after you right here. There's a song in which one of the lyrics that she says is, did I just dodge a bullet or possibly lose the love of my life? When it comes to Raiola, did we dodge a bullet or did we lose somebody who could potentially make a major impact within the UGA program? I mean, you certainly look at the talent that, that Dylan has and what he showed at Buford this past season. Uh, from a traits standpoint, he has everything that you would want from a quarterback. Maybe you'd like him to be a little bit more mobile, but he's got a cannon for an arm, uh, a good size there to take hits at the next level. And so, you know, again, it's super early. And if you look at the way five-star quarterbacks work out, uh, it's maybe about a 50% success rate of how good those guys truly end up being. You need a lot of factors to go right for that to be the case. Uh, and I think you look at Georgia, you look at some of the recent quarterbacks, Stetson Bennett came to Georgia as a no-name walk-on and went the Juco route before coming back and then led them to two national championships. Uh, Carson Beck was a low-level four-star and someone who who dropped throughout the recruiting process, has to wait three full seasons to get on the field as the starter, and now is coming back for his second year as a starter as one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think, you know, as Georgia has shown and some other programs have as well, yeah, the recruiting talent and, and traits are nice, and that certainly helps you on the front end to attract more players. But if you put good people around them and you put those quarterbacks in a position to succeed, they're going to be able to do special things. I believe Georgia would have done that with Dylan Rayola. It'll be interesting to see if Nebraska, a program that has not had a lot of success re recently, is able to do the same. Mm -hmm. So let's end with this because this is the offseason and, and when things are kind of slowing down and news like this comes out, it, it might be a bigger deal than it really is. But in your mind, is this a conversation that displays a bigger problem at hand, especially with those that are high up in ESPN versus Georgia? Or is this a conversation that needs to be put to bed and we need to go ahead and move on to the next? Because at the end of the day, there's really nothing that can be done about the situation at hand. No, I, I think it's just a weird example of it's a big name, Kirk Herbstreet. You know, I don't think he loves the fact that this news came out. I don't mm -hmm. think he loves Dominic Rayola is telling this story right now. Uh, and he's going to have to understandably deal with the blowback for this. But the larger college game day conversation – I'm going to be really interested in, in terms of how they deal and how they talk about Georgia going forward, uh, given some of the things that have happened with that program over the past eight, nine months now. Mm -hmm. And so I do want to mention that you put out a great article on DogNation.com yesterday about this topic. So if you want to know more about what happened and the aftermath, make sure to check out Connor's article on DogNation.com. And now let's move on to signing day. So I have to admit, I, I wasn't in the media world when there was only one signing day. But I do remember being a daughter when that was going on and feeling the rusty wrath for three days because you knew the day before signing day, the day of signing day, and the day after signing day. I didn't speak to my dad because I knew that that's 
when signing day tension was at an all-time high. And obviously, it was a quiet signing day for UGA yesterday. I believe that they signed two walk-ons. Connor, as someone who has been in this industry for quite some time, do you prefer signing day the way that it is now? Or would you like to go back to when it was one day, all chaos, breaking news? What's your opinion? I'd like to go back and rehash maybe some of Rusty's parenting over those days. No, he. I don't. That has not a reflection of his parenting. But I, I knew having grown up with him and being there for signing days that there are just some moments in time and certain dates that happen when I, I don't need to just like go talk my dad's head off or complain to him about little things because obviously there were much bigger issues at hand. So Lorenzo Carter uh, committing to Georgia, you think is a bigger deal than maybe how you're. I don't want to guess how old you were when when Lorenzo Carter committed. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, look, of the 28 guys that Georgia signed in their class, 22 are already enrolled and on campus. And you know, the year before, the two years before, I think Georgia had 18 guys in their class uh, as early enrollees. We can talk all we want about you know. Let's just go back to to the one signing day in February. The reality is more and more prospects these days are enrolling early to get a jump start on their careers. And so this idea that, hey, let's just move everything back to February, I don't think that's the case anymore. And I think you've seen Georgia Spearhead this. I think you've seen other programs come along and do this as well. Try and get these kids in early and get them on campus. That way they can develop quicker and that way they can be a part of your program because so much of it now in college football it, it's not just about going out and recruiting. It's about retaining these guys. And so if you're able to get them in earlier and give them a better idea of where they're, where they are in the roster, I think that's something that is more paramount than ever. I think if you want to go back to the true sort of one big signing day, I kind of think you have to put it in July or August mm. and seeing Georgia, because Georgia traditionally, even when there were two signing days, they started to leave a lot of their work late and, and, you know, close in the month of December, use those two weeks after the SEC championship game to go out and really recruit. This past year, I want to say about 80, 85% of Georgia's signing class was already in the boat by August when fall practice started. Mm -hmm. And so I, and I think you're going to see teams continue to do that. I think the changes in the recruiting calendar, which have moved up to July are allowed official visits in the month of June to take place. Now that's accelerated. I think these recruiting calendars, I think now if you want to go back to that one signing day, you do it in July or August. And then, you know, if you want to have a second one in December uh, as sort of for the kids that announced during that span, I think that's fine. But if you're looking for sort of the old school, one big day, one big bang, I think July, August might be your best chance for that. Uh, Cause I think a, a lot of kids do want to have these decisions knocked out. And, and then you still, I, I think get the best of both worlds. But I think as, as you pointed out, we're not getting anything on, on the February signing day anymore. Uh, and I think a big reason why is just because more and more of these kids are deciding early. Mm -hmm. And as far as the December signing day goes, it seems that something a lot of people complain about is the timing of it all because there's still college football going on just about get to get into bowl season, playoffs, and this national championship. Do you have a problem with the date in which it is? I, I There's no perfect way to do it. Uh, you know, look, it, college football is a sport. Is it, It's one that runs from late August, you know, with the exception of the college football playoff, the regular season, conference championship, all sort of runs the first week in December. And, you know, you talk about wanting to get guys enrolled. You talk about wanting coaches to get out on the road to go see these guys. Uh, there's just no real way to make it work. Unfortunately, because of the way I think the academic schedules are built out, 
it's going to be difficult to really move things around. Uh, you know, I've seen people kick around possible ideas for, um, you know, maybe moving the transfer portal and things like that. It's just because of the way this sport is done. It's very, very difficult to go out there and sort of do that. So, I, you know, I'm not smart enough to know what a solution is. I know that coaches don't feel great about it right now. But with the way things are, it's just hard to, to sort of move or maneuver around this with the way that the transfer portal is, with the way recruiting is. And, you know, you want coaches to be focused on the season rather than going out and seeing prospects during the course of the year, it's just incredibly difficult. So again, I think if you want to go that route and maybe clear things up, you make it in the signing period start in July, like the last week in July or the first Wednesday in August. And then you maybe allow kids from that point on to sign whenever they want. Now, obviously it gets tricky if a coach gets fired or takes another job. But I think if you want to maybe free up December a little bit, you have a big day in in August where a lot of kids can sign and then you sort of allow them to sign after that when they feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the signees that we do have. 28 signees, 22 of which are already on campus. There are some groups that I feel like are going to be able to make more immediate impact than others, specifically maybe the running backs, the defensive line groups, and then we have a huge core of defensive back talent. From your perspective and your mind, what freshmen do you think are going to be able to make the most immediate impact in the 2024 season? Yeah, I think the guy that, that sort of jumps to mind here is Ellis Robinson, mm-hmm. uh, Georgia's highest ranked uh, recruit. That seems really easy to point out. He went through bowl practices. Uh, he played at IMG Academy. There is an open cornerback spot on the roster with Kamari Lasseter moving on to the NFL. He is as good as any cornerback that I think Georgia has brought in in recent years. And secondary is a place where you can potentially come in and play early. We saw Malachi Starks do that. Tyson Campbell do that a while ago. It is something that is achievable. So I think he is someone to watch. I think maybe on the offensive side of the ball, I think Nate Frazier is maybe someone who, and and I don't know if he's going to do it right away, but I think over the course of the season with what you saw out of him at uh, Matter Day High School out there in California, and then the way he played in the All-American Bowl, Look, Georgia has had struggles in the past of having running backs stay healthy throughout the season. And so I think if you're able to bring in a guy like Frazier, who unfortunately is arriving over the summer, as the season progresses, I think his burst, his speed, his acceleration, I think that's a potential difference maker for Georgia over the course of the season, especially when you get to that October, November stretch where you go Texas, bye week, Florida, Ole Miss, Tennessee. I think maybe around that bye week, maybe you start to see a little bit more out of Nate Frazier, mixing him in with a guy like Trevor Etienne, Roderick Robinson there as well. So Ellis Robinson on the defensive side and maybe on the offensive side, Nate Frazier. So now what about the defensive line group? Because defensive line was something that Georgia fans seemed to complain about last year, but now you bring back some veterans this season, but then you also bring in guys like Joseph Jonah Ajanye, Jordan Thomas, Justin Green in this 2024 class. Is that maybe somebody we get the opportunity to see play immediately? Defensive line, it's hard because a lot of those guys, one, are having to reshape their bodies as they get to this next level. And two, again, you may be able to see guys come in and contribute in a rotational way, but not in a big name way. I think that defensive line is still a position where you need adults uh, to really have the impact Mm -hmm. that you've seen Georgia have in recent years. So it's not impossible. Michael Williams played a role as a freshman. Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis did as well. 
Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Joseph Jonah Ajanye does. He's someone who is a little bit raw, but is already on campus. I think, again, that's critically important for Georgia, especially on that defensive line. That way they're able to get in the strength and conditioning program while also continuing to contribute there. So I think, especially if Michael Williams moves to that outside linebacker position, I think maybe that's a spot for Joseph Jonah Ajanye. One guy you didn't mention, and unfortunately he's not enrolled early, but he is someone who you know, was a little under the radar as a recruit, but has really, I think, blown up in this later stretch. Uh, Nasir Johnson out of Dublin, Georgia. You know, he's a South Georgia, although some might say Dublin might technically be Central Georgia. Either way, I know you're not a fan of anyone from that. I knew that was coming. So uh, he's a guy that has continued to grow, not just in terms of his game, but in terms of physically. And he might be someone, again, not to start the season, but around that bye week. Maybe do things start to click for him and maybe over the back half of the season, can he help this defensive line? I think a lot of people expected maybe someone like Jordan Hall to come in and do that as a freshman, a five-star player a year ago. And that just ultimately didn't end up happening. And that's not necessarily because anything Hall did. I think, you know, at that defensive line position, much like offensive line, it's just really hard to make that transition for from one year you're playing against 16, 17-year-old kids and then the next year, you're playing against 21, 22-year-olds. That is a massive difference in strength. And so I think Georgia would love it if they can get anything out of these defensive linemen they sign. But it's not something I feel as, as bankable as, say, Ellis Robinson in the secondary or Nate Frazier at running back. Mm-hmm. So, again, it feels like in this, these conversations, it's the Ellis Robinsons and the Nate Frazers that keep coming up, just specifically based on position and talent. But do you have any sleeper picks for the 2024 class that we might get to see this year? Uh, I think Nasir Johnson uh, is someone who I'm very interested in seeing how he pans out and plays this year. You know, wide receiver is interesting. Obviously, Georgia brings in the three transfer wide receivers. I'll be interested in seeing how quickly guys like Nitro Tuggle and Sokovi White uh, are able to come in and do things. We've seen in the past freshmen have been able to come in and have an impact right away. Obviously, George Pickens, the most famous example. But even, you know, A.D. Mitchell, uh, Dylan Bell came in and played a small role in their first year on campus. And so, you know, again, neither of those guys were superstar recruits uh, and neither have, I think, maybe some of the measurables and certainly experience that other guys in that wide receiver room have. But with where that position is for Georgia and having to replace Lab McConkie and having to replace Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint, I'll be interested in seeing if maybe Sokovi White comes in and pops and is able to make plays a little bit early on in his career than some anticipated. And even though it was a quiet signing day for UGA yesterday, it was really loud on our Dog Nation website, so make sure to check out the articles that not only Connor, but Jeff Sintel also put out on our 2024 signee class. And then you can check out Jeff Sintel's Before the Hedges recruiting show where he breaks down every position and gives them a grade. So for more on signing day content, you can check out the pages of dognation.com or any of our social media platforms to hear more on that. All right, Connor, we don't really usually get the chance to talk about NFL on this show, but Super Bowl's coming up, and I want to get your your input on not just what's going to go down in the game, but I want to get some of your best bets so you can redeem yourself from the show that y'all did in the fall, which was Go With The Flow with R.S. Andrews. So I want y'all to go ahead and take a look at this. For, there are five dogs participating in the Super Bowl, which is the second most of any NCAA programs. Oklahoma leading the way with six. The dogs have five. For the 49ers, you can see Robert Beal, Chris Conley, and Charlie Warner. And for the Chiefs, Malik Herring, Amikal Hardman. Now, when you take a look at their stats all season long, none of these guys did anything of significant impact. Do you think that these guys are past their best, or will any of them have a real opportunity to make some sort of impact in this Super Bowl, Connor? 
Yeah, I, I don't expect Georgia to have a lot of big plays in this Super Bowl, unfortunately. Uh, Mikal Hartman had a really tough game against Buffalo. Fumbles mm-hmm. there. Uh, Charlie Warner and, and Chris Conley are sort of rotational players. I, I think they'll play a lot of snaps, but maybe won't record a ton of catches or, or have too many big plays. Conley did have a big catch in San Francisco's win over Green Bay late in the game there. But uh, it's not, I think, you know, if you were watching, uh, you know, if you were rooting for Baltimore, uh, it, there is no Roquan Smith-type player uh, uh, in this game for Georgia to represent that way. So uh, these are all guys that came through, played at Georgia, longtime players, all uh, except for Chris Conley, uh, draft picks from the Kirby Smart era there. So a couple of guys have already won rings in Hardman and Herring. Uh, the other three, Robert Beal, uh, Chris Conley and Charlie Warner are looking for their first. I would point out Robert Beal has a chance to win a third straight championship, mm-hmm. winning back-to-back titles in college as a junior and senior. And then in his first year with the San Francisco 49ers, I'd, I'd have to think that'd be a pretty cool win for Robert Beal to cap off his rookie season for San Francisco. So with that, I do want to go ahead and give you some betting lines here. I'm going to let you have the opportunity later to make your own bets, but we're going to go ahead and do some that are dog-based, starting with catches by a former dog is at one and a half, Connor. I'm going to take the under there. You're going to take the under. And then tackles by a former dog is at 0.5. I unfortunately am also going to take the under there. Okay, so now we're going to move into the fun ones. These are the ones that I'm really excited about. And that's starting with the over-under for the national anthem, which is going to be sang by Mrs. Reba McIntyre this year. And that is currently at one minute and 30 and a half seconds. Are you going to take the over or the under on the national anthem here, Connor? So that's actually up from where I had previously seen it. I had seen mm-hmm. it at 86 seconds. Uh, so maybe some movement on mm-hmm. that line. However, oh, a 90 second national anthem is really, really quick. And so I am going to take the over there. I think Reba's maybe going to stretch it out a little bit. Uh, and make it a little bit longer. Uh, Post Malone also doing God Bless America. I kind of wouldn't have hated to see him potentially do a national anthem as well. Must just see people just freak out about why Post Malone is doing our national anthem. So I was looking into this, and of all the past national anthems that Reba McIntyre has done, she's never gone over a minute and a half. I think the longest that she's done has been around a minute and 23 seconds or a minute and 24 seconds. So I am going to take the under on this, because I'm gonna—I've been watching Miss Reba on The Voice all season long. I think she still got it, but I think she wants to get in there and get out of there. So I'm gonna take the under. And so this is one that I'm excited to hear what you have to say because it involves our girl Taylor Swift. How many times will Taylor Swift be shown during the broadcast? Just give me a straight-up number. There doesn't have to be a half. I will say three times. I think she gets shown three times. Once at the start of the game, once I think when Travis Kelsey makes his first big play, and then if Travis Kelsey scores a touchdown, I think that'll be the third time that we get her in this game. Yeah, I think the odds were were at five and a half, so I'm I'm with you. I don't think it's going to be as many because so many people come out for the Super Bowl, so they're going to be showing all the different celebrities, all the past players, so I'm with you. I I think I'm going to say right out about four. So moving on to our halftime before i go i mean it's not a guarantee that she ends up getting there i mean there is the girl math of her flying from tokyo even though her tokyo concert ends late saturday night tokyo time and it is roughly i believe a 17 hour flight from tokyo to las vegas you know she doesn't necessarily have to go to the super bowl especially with the fact that she's got to be in melbourne australia next week for a set of shows i'm not 100 certain that Taylor is going to be there. Obviously, she has the means to get there, 
but it's not a lot that she goes. And so because of that, that is why I also like the under there. I have a hard time believing that she's not going to show up. I actually didn't know that Post Malone was going to be singing God Bless America. And I don't think that she would miss out on a PR moment with her and Post Malone, especially since he's going to be featured on her new album, The Tortured Poets Department. So I'd like to see those two together. I do think that Taylor Swift, I mean, that woman can do anything. She's going to find a way to get at the Super Bowl. All right, now we're going to move on to halftime. Usher doing this year's halftime show. What? What song is Usher going to open up with, Connor? The betting favorite is Yeah. I'd be very disappointed if that's the first song yeah. uh, he elects to play. I forget the name of it, but I believe it is DJ Got Us Fallen in Love Tonight. Mm. Uh, I think that might be the first song that he wants to go with. Something that'll pump people up and get people going. I, I'm curious to see. I don't think he's going to come out to Yeah either. I think that's either going to be middle of the way through or maybe at the end. But, you know, in the beginning of that song, it's Peace Up, A-Town Down. I wonder if he's going to try and rearrange that to where it's maybe like Peace Up, Vegas Town Down, just to have that sort of play on words. But I think there's a song Usher has, and it's called OMG. And the very beginning is him saying, oh, my gosh. Like, I wonder if he's going to come up in the middle of the stage. And that I think that's where I would put my money. Now, this is my favorite Super Bowl betting line. It changes every year. There's really no sort of mathematical reasoning that you can put into this. What will be the winning Gatorade color? So I actually already have a slip on this. I have <laughs> blue at plus 440. Uh, however, there are a number of different colors you could go with. Water is at plus 700, so keep uh, <laughs> be aware of that out there. But I like blue at plus 440. I believe that the favorite this year is purple. Is that correct? Can you correct me if I'm yes, wrong there? Uh, purple is what I had seen as the favorite. Okay, I think for – I mean, I have no reason behind this. I'm going to go orange this year. I think that orange might be the color that we see. And then the last one, not as fun, but we're going to go ahead and get the betting line for this game. Uh, Chiefs versus 49ers at two and a half. What are you going to do with this, Connor? I have uh, – I am taking Kansas City. However, if you're going to take Kansas City, don't take them at two and a half. Just take them on the money line. Uh, I think you get better odds that way. I would also think if you if you think Kansas City is going to bet this game and you want your best odds, maybe just bet Patrick Mahomes, Super Bowl MVP, at plus 150 because in the most likely sense, if, if Kansas City finds a way to win this game, it is because of Patrick Mahomes' brilliance. And thus you're getting better odds at that. So I would go Chiefs money line, obviously Chiefs plus two and a half, but also maybe just a, a Mahomes MVP odds as well there. Mm -hmm. And I want to end with this, Connor. What makes a good Super Bowl commercial? Ooh, uh, I think a good Super Bowl commercial, something a little funny but not too serious, uh, a celebrity doing something but not so obvious that it's just a celebrity. Uh, for example, I don't know if you saw the Paramount Plus ad, uh, I guess it was last week where it is uh, Sir Patrick Stewart, Hey Arnold, throwing him, uh, throw the child, Creed shows up. I thought that was a fantastic commercial. I, I do think that the product has to be somewhat well-known, whether it be Bud Light, Doritos, and I realize BA is cringing somewhere that I'm giving away free product uh, <laughs> on our show here. Uh, but I, I think it's got to be a, a well-known, like good product that is generally well-liked. I think it has to be involved some sort of celebrity and generally more funny than, you know, heartwarming or just outright sad. And you don't have to elaborate on this. Like you said, we wouldn't want to upset BA or anything. But when you take a look at past Super Bowl commercials, what brand collectively puts out the best ones? I feel like Doritos is certainly up there. I think Bud Light has done a good job. Again, Budweiser with the horses isn't always the, you know, funniest uh, one out there. But it is one that is they do consistently, I think, excellent work. 
in terms of what they're doing. I'll be interested, you know, what Taco Bell does. Uh, I'm very interested because I do think there are going to be a lot of eyes on the Super Bowl this year. I'm very interested in seeing what the commercials end up looking like. And with that, that will wrap up our Dog Nation offseason. I'm Kaylee Mansell with Connor Riley. As always, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you right back here on the pages of dognation.com next Thursday at 